Welcome to Straight Thinking, a GPS for the Christian mind, teaching you how to think, not just what to think. This is Joe Aguirre with theologian and philosopher Kenneth Samples and physicist Dave Rogstad. On today's podcast, part two of two on Augustine and Lewis's life parallels. Uh, Ken, these two giants of the faith have mentored countless Christians over the years, and maybe it's no wonder that they had many things in common. We talked about the first six based on your blog article uh, last time, and we're going to talk about six more, but maybe you can recap uh, that for us for people just tuning in. Yeah, you know, in 2013, I came across an article um, uh, that was written by Michael Hickerson, and, and he uh, was part of the Emerging Scholars Network, and of course, they put together 64 books, and they went through voting, and it ended up the, uh, the two, two final books, the two uh, books that won the, uh, the voting was number one, Confessions by Augustine, number two, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, but Hickerson and, and another individual had mentioned some of the parallels and uh, I read it and was intrigued by it, and I took their list and I've augmented it and uh, you know put some matching elements to it. And I wrote an article, uh, the the uh, again the twelve parallels, um, and it's been published on the RTB site as a blog article. You can get it on reasons.org, or you can go on Reflections by Ken, and you can pick it up. But I was recently on a a very popular uh, C.S. Lewis podcast called Pints with Jack. And I talked about the article and the host, he was very knowledgeable about both Lewis and Augustine. And then the Worldview Bulletin, I'm very pleased, has uh, accepted that article and they'll publish it on their online uh, kind of journal, uh, which is uh, Chris Reese is the editor, but there are people, David Baggett, who's been on our program, Paul Copan, who's also been on our program, are behind that. So let me give you the six parallels I talked uh, a bit about in the first program. One, uh, both uh, Augustine and Lewis were born in declining empires, uh, the Roman Empire for Augustine, uh, British Empire for Lewis. Both had influential mothers and distant fathers, came from dysfunctional families, caring, caring families, but dysfunctional families. Um, number three, both of them, Augustine and Lewis, renounced the faith in their youth and walked away. Um, I'm sure their family members were hurt by that. Um, four, they lived with women outside of marriage. Uh, for Augustine, he took a lover when he went to Carthage uh, and lived with this woman for many years. They had a child together. Lewis, um, uh, because he had a friend, Patty Moore, uh, met Moore's mother, uh, Jane Moore, who, by the way, is buried just a few feet away from C.S. Lewis uh, in the graveyard there at uh, Holy Trinity Anglican Church, just outside of Oxford. Uh, Jane Moore was very likely, initially, C.S. Lewis's lover. Um, she was a bit older, but probably Lewis was looking for both uh, sexual satisfaction as, as well as maybe a, a mother figure. And he was going off to World War I, so he probably thought, I better have as much pleasure as I can because 
I'm going to come back in a box. Um, so those elements, uh, I should mention uh, number five, that they were both academics and orators of the highest reputation. It's interesting, both were very, they went to elite, taught at elite places, elite schools, and both were well known for uh, their speaking skills. And then finally, uh, of the first six, they both had dramatic conversions. Uh, I like to note uh, a lot of times when we think about evangelism and people having conversions, we think of, you know, giving people a track or uh, witnessing to them. Well, there was that. Uh, Ambrose was a key figure in Augustine's conversions, but books also played an important role. Augustine read the Enneads by uh, a Neoplatonic philosopher, and he read Athanasius's book on St. Anthony for Augustine. Uh, that's for Augustine. For Lewis, of course, he read Fan Fantasties by George MacDonald, The Everlasting Man by Chesterton, both amazing authors. And Lewis, of course, at Oxford encountered people like Tolkien and other members of the Inklings. So sometimes evangelism involves both uh, books and people. And so those are the first six, but I've got six more, and that's what we'll talk about together on this program. Ready for number seven. Okay, uh, well, we can say that both of them were spokespersons for the faith, not just that they were great orators uh, and taught were, were heavy-duty academics, but they were now, upon their conversion, they both became major spokespersons for the faith. Uh, Augustine, of course, was initially a Catholic priest and became a bishop, and uh, probably there, you know, in the, uh, uh, you know, as the Roman Empire began to come apart in late antiquity, Augustine may have been if, if there was a Time magazine, he would have been on the cover. Um, he was a major uh, Christian thinker in the Roman world. And uh, people knew that if you were going to engage Christianity, you have to engage St. Augustine. Somebody said that uh, he was loved by all of the Christian people, but he was hated by all of the heretics mm -hmm. because he'd go right at them. Um, he was very critical of Pelagius. He was very critical of uh, an earlier heresy that had risen about uh, church authority. So um, I think it's fair to say that Augustine was a Catholic. Maybe Catholicism at that time wasn't exactly what it would become in the Middle Ages or what it would become in the modern world, although some of my Catholic apologist friends would dispute that. But I think it is fair to say, as Carl Truman has said, Carl Truman is a Presbyterian theologian, very masterful writer. Truman said in a public lecture that he gave about Augustine that Augustine is probably as influential among Protestants as he is among Catholics. So um, he has had a big influence and was a real spokesperson. Well, you know, something similar could be said about C.S. Lewis. Uh, uh, upon his conversion, he uh, became a celebrity. The book that really made him a celebrity was the Screwtape Letters. Uh, he had dedicated that, by the way, to Tolkien. Tolkien didn't like it because he thought it was kind of it was kind of an odd book. Tolkien was a 
Tolkien was a bit of a difficult personality. He was, uh, uh, Lewis and Tolkien had a very deep friendship, but it, but it began to wane. And most biographers, I think, think that Tolkien was probably the source because Tolkien was jealous that Lewis had other friends that had played important roles. And isn't that interesting? I mean, you know, I've had friendships and you might be friends with multiple people and sometimes there's a tension. Well, you like Joe better than Dave or you, Joe and Dave like each other better than Ken. Well, it's interesting, even with these brilliant thinkers, they have these falling outs. You can tell that they are still, uh, you know, on the long road of, of, of sanctification. Well, Lewis became a major spokesperson. Uh, Lewis was on Time Magazine. And uh, there were people at the time who said that not only was he a great literary scholar, first rate, uh, medieval and Renaissance ac academic scholar at Oxford University, but of course he was also this novelist of the Chronicles of Narnia, which by the way, have sold over a hundred million copies I always find it interesting and amusing when I bump into somebody who knows about Lewis and all they've read are the Chronicles of Narnia. I was at a bookstore getting some Lewis books for my daughter, Sarah, my oldest daughter. By the way, both of my daughters are real Lewis fans. They love Lewis. Um, uh, my daughter sent me a note recently. She said, I have 15 of Lewis's books. And then she put, that's not enough with an exclamation mark. Mm -hmm. I thought, that's my girl. Um, but I remember when my daughter Jacqueline was in college, uh, you know, I'd come downstairs and she's sitting there reading Mere Christianity or, you know, Miracles. And I'm thinking, do you have a class on that? She said, no, I'm just reading it for wisdom. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that's my girl too. Or, you know, now, did she read your books? Well, uh, I, hope, I hope so. I, I, of course, they'll, they'll see all these, these quotes from Augustine and Lewis, uh, <laughs> if they do. But Lewis became uh, a, a real apologist, and he became a major author. And, you know, so both of them have this in common, that they are kind of uh, universal spokespersons for the faith during their time. And uh, I don't think either one of them likes celebrity. I don't think any of either one of them enjoyed kind of the celebrity element that they got. But I, I think both, both of them felt very satisfied that they were writing uh, and speaking and they were impacting people. So that would be number seven. They were major spokespersons uh, for the faith. Number eight, uh, they were prolific, pr prominent, and diverse authors. So I've talked a bit about their speaking ability. There, there were great orators. Now I want to talk about them as writers. They were both prolific. Let's take that first of all. Well, uh, August it's hard to exaggerate Augustine's prolific writing. He wrote more than five million words, which probably means he is the most prolific author of all ancient authors, Latin or Greek. He probably wrote more words than anybody in the ancient world, uh, more than five million. I still have not made my way through all of Augustine's writings. That's, that's a career in and of itself. But uh, Lewis was 
I think, equally a prolific author. Not only did he write more than 30 books, but he wrote thousands of letters. Um, I think it's interesting, Walter Hooper said that Lewis thought if you wrote a book and somebody read it and then they wanted to talk with you or wanted to ask you or, you know, were sent you a fan mail, he, Lewis thought you had an obligation to do that. You had, uh, you know, you'd written this book, it had impacted people and you owed them uh, the respect to come and talk with them. And, and of course, sometimes this was not convenient. People would show up uh, at, you know, Lewis's home or places of that nature. Um, uh, what I think is interesting is Lewis had his brother Warney type the letters. So Lewis would dictate them or write them out longhand. Lewis, by the way, did not type. He thought typewriters got in the way of writing, that you needed to have... Uh, your mind needed to be attuned to how you wrote and how words sounded. And I have to tell you, I, I, there are quotes by both Augustine and Lewis. And I just, I just sit back and I think, how come I can't write that way? How come my words don't come out like that? And, and there are passages and I, I memorize them and I still think about them. And I think, I wish I would have said that, you know, it's just, Ken, maybe you ought to get a big uh, roll of papyrus and start writing the old way. <laughs> yeah, you know, this, uh, this MacBook Pro, you know, I, I think it's inhibiting me. Uh, well, Lewis didn't type. His brother would type the letters. And um, I think both Warney and Walter Hooper said that Lewis had corresponded, the number of letters was somewhere between 10 and 12,000. So much so that Alistair McGrath, who wrote a 2013 biography of Lewis, said that a lot of really important information comes out of the letters. Mm. So they were, uh, they were both prolific. Now, prominent. Well, um, both of them wrote two of the greatest books within Christian history. Uh, confession, I don't think there's anything like the Confessions. Um, I, I'll, in fact, I'll say this, uh, Pope Benedict XVI, so he's Pope Emeritus, the one that retired, still living, by the way. Well, uh, Ratzinger, Joseph Ratzinger is his name. He uh, is German uh, and was, of course, Pope for a number of years. Uh, Ratzinger is an Augustan scholar. Uh, in fact, uh, Ratzinger is one of the great Catholic thinkers probably in a few centuries. Um, there is a recent book written by Protestants who uh, said, you know, we don't always agree with Catholicism, but Benedict was a first-rate uh, thinker. Well, Benedict said that he would, re he would prefer to read Augustine over Thomas Aquinas. Now, remember, uh, the Thomism, the philosophy, the official philosophy of, of Aquinas is the official philosophy of the Catholic Church. And for Benedict to say that, that's an amazing thing. He, and he said he preferred Augustine because he was more personal. And um, so there isn't any book like Confessions. I, I loved what R.C. Sproul used to say. He is joking, of course, but R.C. could be really funny. He was a 
Presbyterian theologian, apologist, uh, and I, I'm happy to say a friend of Reasons to Believe. Um, uh, he liked uh, Hugh Ross and liked Hugh's uh, writings, uh, but he said one day, Sproul said, if you've been a Christian for more than two years and you haven't read the Confessions, you're sinning. That's typical R.C. Sproul. By the way, when I was a young man and I heard tapes by Sproul, I tried to model my teaching after him. I thought he is so, he takes, he takes complex issues and he is able to present them in an accessible way. And that had a big impact on me. Um, well, uh, Lewis, I mean, think about the four loves. To quote another Catholic, there's another Pope, John Paul II. Now he is uh, Saint John Paul II. Uh, JP II is the way the Catholics refer to him. Uh, Walter Hooper Lewis's secretary met uh, Pope John Paul II, and John Paul II said, I'm a C.S. Lewis fan. Whoa! Uh, John Paul II said that he thought Lewis's writings, The Four Loves, was on the level of St. Augustine. Well, that's an amazing thing for a pope to say. In, in, in fact, I have another point later where I talk about their universal voices. So both of them were prolific, both were prominent, and both were diverse, meaning both of them wrote popular books and very technical books. Uh, uh, you know, Confessions is a popular book. City of God is a very complicated book, very scholarly work. Lewis wrote Mere Christianity, which was taken from his BBC lectures. Um, simple, but you better pay attention. Um, I remember the first time I read Mere Christianity, I thought, I thought a couple things. I thought how enjoyable it is to read an intellectual. I thought, wow, I, that's something I've never really delved into. I, in my early life, I wanted to be a baseball player and I didn't want school to get in the way of me becoming a major league baseball player. But by the time I had become a Christian, I picked up mere Christianity. I thought, wow, this guy's so thoughtful. But Lewis could also write some very complex works. Uh, Miracles is not an easy read. Um, Lewis had other works that were, were very scholarly. So all, both of them were prolific, prominent, and diverse. Um, Probably Augustine was not a novelist, though, like Lewis. Is that true? Well, um, if you think of confessions, it's it's kind of like a diary. It's kind of like a it, it's kind of like a biography, but it but it's it's infused with all kinds of stories and ideas. So probably not quite like a biography, but it 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 has like some of that flavor. But I'm uh, thinking of you know Lewis writing you know, uh, Chronicles of Narnia or Space Trilogy, or he was a novelist. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, not so much so with Augustine. Uh, with Augustine. Okay, number nine. Um, both of them were authors of literary and Christian classics. Um, you know, you don't have to be a Christian to appreciate Augustine and C.S. Lewis. In fact, if you go to a great book school, Let's say you get a great books degree at Biola University or St. Thomas Aquinas or 
any of the great books, programs, University of Chicago, etc. Uh, if you read through the great books of the Western world, you're going to read Augustine and you're going to read C.S. Lewis. Um, uh, with Augustine, you will definitely read the Confessions uh, and you'll read the City of God, but you'll probably read on Christian doctrine. Uh, if you read the great books of the Western world by, edited by Mortimer Adler, you'll also read The Abolition of Man. So here's an interesting thing. Both of them were authors, and, but they were literary. I mean, these are classics. Uh, lots of secular people read these books because they're considered great books. Mortimer Adler defined a classic as a book you could never exhaust. Well, I've read the Confessions, I don't know, 15, 20 times. I never get to the end of it. I can't wait for, to read it again. Uh, I've read Mere Christianity probably 15 or 20 times, and every year I, I, wanted, I want to read that again. Now, of course, the Bible is the greatest of all great books. Uh, try reading Romans once. Try reading the Gospel of John once. Try reading the Psalms. Uh, in my church, I attend an Anglican church, we pray through the Psalms in our liturgy, and it never gets old never gets tired. I never, I never feel like, ah, oh, I got that covered. You know, some books you read and it's like, yeah, it's a good book, but I get it. Uh, classic books, they keep you coming back. Well, both of them wrote literary classics, but both of them wrote Christian classics. Um, the Confessions on Christian Doctrine, the City of God, uh, on the Trinity, these are Christian classics. Uh, Lewis, Mere Christianity, uh, the, the Four Loves. Um, uh, what else would I add in there? Um, you know, his, his... Well, and certainly Miracles and Problem of Pain. Problem of Pain, they would be... These are Christian classic books. So they're both literary scholars, and I, and I love that. I, I love it that... Here you have these elite schools where they just read classics and they end up reading Augustine and Lewis. And, you know, um, for me, for me, Augustine and Lewis, they're kind of like my friends. They're, they're my mentors. Uh, they're they're kind of like Jerry West and Ted Williams. They're people I look to. Uh, they're people I look in their writings and I, I, I'm encouraged that they had struggles because I have struggles. And I, I'm encouraged because they were great sinners who, who became very saintly men. And I'm a sinner and I want to be a great saintly man. Uh, and so, um, you know, I'm, I'm an introvert. Uh, I'm a bit of a loner. I'm fiercely independent, so I'll, that sometimes puts me uh, outside the group, and I've kind of learned to accept that. But there are times I want people to speak to me, and some of these friends of mine, they're dead, but they still speak. Um, and, and so church history is a great repository of knowledge. It is a library. And if I could be candid, Protestants don't take advantage of it enough. 
you know, I go down to the evangelical bookstore. They have a lot of Bibles, which I like, but they don't have much on the church fathers or the middle philosophers of the Middle Ages. I go to a Catholic bookstore. Of course, they have saints, but they don't have any Bibles. <laughs> I'm like, uh, well, uh, maybe we need a maybe we need a bookstore that can speak to both ends, right. uh, perspectives. Well, let me move to number ten because I, I think it's very special. I think both of them are a lot of like in that they have longing and desire for God. That that really is right at the center of both of them. Um, you know, in the confessions, uh, one thing I really like about the confessions is one of the things that makes it unique is it's a prayer. He's talking to God. He's writing this long letter to God. And so you kind of feel like you're listening in. You're kind of looking over your shoulder. Um, you know, Augustine says, you've made us for yourself. He's speaking to the Lord. You've made us for yourself. And our hearts find no peace until we rest in you. Augustine was a restless guy. He was uh, he was anxious. Uh, I think he was to some degree a lonely person, uh, and he was looking to fill up that that hole and that gap. Uh, I think something similar could be said of C.S. Lewis. He was uh, he was a lonely bookish boy. Lost his mother. Uh, you know, was out of sorts with his dad, Albert, uh, was in uh, boarding schools, and he said that he really hated it because it was heavy on sports, and he was a bookish kid, and so they made fun of him, and uh, there was even a certain amount of hazing. You know, the young kids, they had to do things for the older kids, uh, there were pranks, and um, somebody said, I think Alice McGrath said that uh, in Surprised by Joy, which is Lewis's biography of his own life, that he writes more critical of the boarding schools than he did of the Great War. Mm. Uh, I think both of them were people that realized that life isn't easy, uh, and I can relate to that. Uh, I think I was, a, I was uh, restless as a kid. Um, I remember talking to my wife one day, but by the way, my wife was a terrific athlete. Uh, she'd come along maybe a decade later, she'd got a full scholarship to a major university, um, played varsity softball as a freshman. Uh, she was a gymnast. Uh, my wife, Jones, I remember the first time we went on a date, I had a Nerf football, so I told her to go out for a pass and I was impressed how fast she could run. <laughs> uh, that she caught a spyro from me. I thought this, you know, this might be a keeper here. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, I remember telling my my wife, I said, why did you play sports? She said, because it was fun. She said, why'd you play? And I said, because I wanted to be somebody. And I can relate to that. I, I want to, you know, what's life all about? Well, um, Lewis would talk about the argument from desire that I, I have these longings and nothing in this world can seem to fulfill them. Uh, therefore, maybe I was made for another world. And Augustine in the Confessions, he writes, you know, about rest and peace, how elusive it is. Uh, I think about that when I look at professional athletes, when I look at actors, um, 
make a lot of money, their name is in lights. Maybe they don't feel very fulfilled, very satisfied. By the way, during the pandemic, uh, it was identified as a, a uh, an epidemic of loneliness. And, uh, you know, uh, to put another great Christian thinker, one of my favorites, Pascal, he says, we've got this missing piece at the center of our being and nothing can fulfill it. Nothing can fit that hole but Christ. So both of them talked about satisfaction only in God, an existential satisfaction. Now, in my mind, I think this is also an apologetic point. Um, you know, I know some people, they're, you know, very dismissive of religious experiences or, uh, you know, that's just your psychological hangup. You know, you, you're just not tough enough. You know, you don't need God. The strong people, they don't use that as a crutch. I actually think it's an apologetic. Um, you know, the human heart, the human mind, uh, human anthropology is a mystery. And for people's lives to be transformed and to find fulfillment and satisfaction, I think there's something deep there. Uh, and I know that's what initially called me in. I was, I was looking. And the people who knew me at the time, they knew I was looking. And it, it can't be found in, in fame. It can't be found in money. It can't be found in, you know, pl having pleasure, drugs. Those are dead ends. Um, a bottle of alcohol won't fulfill you. It, it'll uh, make you feel a little less anxious for a while, and then it'll kill you. Uh, so both of them were longing. They were both had desires for God, and that's characteristic of them. Um, both of them talk about the existential needs that human beings have, and uh, to me, that's a uh, to to me that's something that's very significant because I I'm definitely in that category. Mm -hmm. Now, number eleven. They both developed theodicies. Now, our listeners know what that is. A, a, a theodicy is when you're trying to justify God's goodness and his knowledge and his power in light of evil, pain, and suffering. And so Christians have taken different ideas about how to explain that. Um, that troubled Augustine for a long time. That's one reason he hung around the Manichees, why he didn't accept kind of a Catholic classic Christianity, but he developed a a theodicy. Augustine said evil is not a thing. It's not a substance. God didn't create uh, evil the way he created a tree or, or the way he created a mountain. Uh, evil is a, is a privation. It's an absence. There's, it's kind of like a cavity. There is a, a lack of enamel. It's a hole. It's not a thing. And this was meaningful to Augustine because he could then argue that evil was not something God was responsible for. Now, I'm not saying that's uh, the be-all and end-all of it, uh, but I think there's real insight in, the, in this sense. I think that you can't have evil unless you have goodness. Evil lives on the host of the good. I think that's a deep insight. I think we could then turn it around to the atheist and say, is it possible you have a problem of the good? Now, uh, Lewis, of course, in The Problem of Pain, 
which came out, as I recall, in uh, the 19, early 1940s. Um, he develops a free will defense. He develops a soul-making defense. Uh, free will that, you know, in order for God to give us freedom, he has to allow for the possibility that people are going to misuse their freedom and, and commit evil. Uh, soul-making that maybe allowing pain and suffering has a means of transforming you. It may mature you. You may grow. You also may become more empathetic and loving and caring. But he also, Lewis, after the short life that he lived with his wife, Joy, he wrote the book, A Grief Observed. And I remember the first time I read that, I was like, whoa, I can't believe how honest Lewis is. I can't believe how angry he is. Uh, that's a classic. My, uh, my friend Travis Campbell said, maybe you should read The Problem of Pain and A Grief Observed together, where you get you get both. You get the argument, and then you get Lewis's uh, encounter with, with suffering. Uh, so both of them de developed theodicies. Both of them thought that uh, God's goodness and God's omni-qualities somehow need to, to be able to work alongside the fact that there's evil pain and suffering in the world. Now, number 12, um, well, I think this is a very special one. Uh, I think they're universal Christian voices. Now, that's not completely true with Augustine. Uh, as I mentioned in the previous program, Eastern Orthodox are not enamored with Augustine. They, uh, in the Eastern Orthodox tradition of Christendom, they don't accept original sin. They believe human beings have a proclivity to sin but they don't believe that we have guilt in Adam. They also tend to think that uh, original sin is far too pessimistic. And they're not enamored. Uh, Augustine was a predestinarian. In fact, there are people out there who say that um, Calvin borrowed his Calvinism from St. Augustine. Well, uh, there's truth in that, but it it's, could also be overstated. Uh, Calvin was a theologian in his own right. Uh, but, you know, Calvin's view of predestination and election is pretty close to Augustine's, and it's not all that different even than Luther or Aquinas. So you have some very strong predestinarians coming out of Christian history in the East, uh, that emphasis is, is not uh, something that they hold uh, strongly. But having said that, um, I think Augustine is the most important theologian among Catholics and Protestants. Um, let, me, let me tell you a few Protestants who really liked St. Augustine. Um, Benjamin Warfield, he was a big St. Augustine scholar. Um, you have uh, you have other people, uh, R.C. Sproul, a big St. Augustine scholar, who also, by the way, who liked Thomas Aquinas. Um, you have others in, in church history uh, who are Protestants who gravitate toward Augustine. You could, you could even put Luther and Calvin in that category. You could also put Cramner, who wrote the 39 articles uh, that also uh, put together the Book of Common Prayer. 
Now, Lewis, I think, is really is a universal Christian voice. Um, I bump into people. I know Catholics who like him. I mentioned the Pope, uh, John Paul II. Um, Lewis is popular among Reformed people. Tim Keller, um, he just, you know, gushes about reading C.S. Lewis. Um, there's another reform scholar, very popular today, big author. Uh, his, na his name, I'm not sure I can pull his name out of my memory, but I've met a number of reform people who say, yeah, we like Lewis. Uh, Jack Collins, by the way, who teaches Old Testament at Covenant Seminary, who will be part of our workshop uh, in June at RTB. Um, we had him come in and he teaches a course on C.S. Lewis. So here you have Reformed people who like Lewis, but you also have lots of Wesleyans who uh, love Lewis. Um, uh, you know, you have Jerry Walls, you have many uh, more Arminian Wesleyan people who, uh, who appreciate Lewis. I think Lewis really is a universal Christian voice. Maybe the only other person I would put in the category would be Athanasius. Athanasius is uh, loved and admired and respected by all three branches of Christendom. Uh, but, you know, that's saying a lot. It's, it's saying a lot that people from very different uh, branches of Christendom and then very different denominations, uh, you know, appreciate him. Uh, now, having said that, there are also people who don't like Augustine. There are people who don't like C.S. Lewis. I've, I've, I seem to bump into people like that. Uh, uh, I've heard people say uh, that, you know, uh, Augustine was, a, he was a Gnostic, a Manichae. He led the church down the wrong road. I, I had one guy tell me in a, in a discussion online that the wrong person won uh, when it came to uh, uh, Pelagianism, that Pelagius should have won. And Pelagius was more Christian than Augustine. And I thought, wow, we really do differ here. Mm. I've also had people tell me that, you know, Lewis didn't believe in biblical inerrancy, um, you know, that maybe he held some kind of theistic evolutionary view, uh, or that he, you know, read all kinds of crazy literature. So I'm not saying that both of them are are accepted. They they get their own criticism. But I'm, I'm pretty amazed by this, that these, I think, are 12 very uh, powerful parallels. And if I could come back to the, my old priest uh, who said, find a saint and uh, live your life kind of in dialogue with him. But by the way, Benedict II said that's what he did with St. Augustine. He wrote his theology partly in a dialogue with St. Augustine. Um, you know, uh, again, some of my Protestant friends will bristle by hearing me say that you find a saint and you follow after him because they think devotion to the saints, to Mary, is deeply unbiblical, um, maybe even idolatrous in the minds of some. Um, but I know for me, um, Whenever I like something, I like to know everything about it. And I've tried to, in my adult life, try to learn as much as I can about Augustine and C.S. Lewis. 
And I can say that they're kind of my friends. They are, uh, they're my mentors. Um, and sometimes I stick up for them. Um, and more often I'm encouraged and blessed by them and proud to, uh, proud that I can benefit from the lives that they've lived. So Joe and Dave, I want to encourage people to get a copy of my article and maybe look for my interview on Pints with Jack and uh, uh, be on the outlook for an article that will appear in the Worldview Bulletin. And, um, and of course, maybe come back to my book, Classic Christian Thinkers, because there are seven other thinkers in that book that I think pretty highly of as well. Yeah. Uh, the title of the article, uh, 12 Life Parallels Between St. Augustine and C.S. Lewis, as you've mentioned a couple of times, can either on the reasons.org site, where you have a blog channel there, Reflections, or on your Reflections by Ken site uh, as well. So uh, read the article, and uh, thanks for listening to the uh, podcast. Ken, one, one last uh, uh, thought here I, I'd like you to comment on. Your last point was on the fact that they're both universal Christian voices. And I was thinking, you know, I heard of both of them in secular contexts before I uh, was really a Christian. In the case of C.S. Lewis, it was in a literature class. And then in Augustine, I think it was a history class where they're talking about his philosophical influence. So people... Uh, in a non-Christian context, they're probably going to run into both of them anyway. <laughs> well, I think that's exactly right. Um, I know uh, I, when I'm writing my book, I, I used to be able to write and listen to music or watch a baseball game, and I wasn't distracted. I, I've kind of lost that ability. So I listened to a channel that, um, you know, it has kind of soothing music, and it has quotations from everybody from, you know, Winston Churchill to uh, Siddhartha Gautama to you name it, and they have a quotation on there. But I notice every once in a while a C.S. Lewis quote or a St. Augustine quote will pop up. And, uh, you know, I like, um, I like game shows because I, I like trivia. And uh, I was watching Jeopardy. And a number of times there are questions about Augustine or about C.S. Lewis. Mm -hmm. And those are some of the few that I get right uh, in a Jeopardy. But yeah, that's right, Joe. Um, uh, that, by the way, led me to have a conversation with a gentleman on Twitter. And he was, uh, he had been a Christian and he deconverted. And I said, well, who did you, uh, how did that happen? And who did you study from? Um, you know, when you started to have doubts and you started to think maybe Christianity weren't true, maybe that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I said, who did you, uh, what, what were, who were the Christian thinkers that you studied from? And after a long and, you know, back and forth, um, the person, you know, I asked him, I said, have you, have you ever read Augustine or Anselm or Aquinas, for example? Um no. And I thought, you know, after a long, very candid, I mean, he, he kind of became angry at me at one point, but I said, uh, could I be candid? Uh, you might have deconverted too soon. You, you might not have heard the best case for Christianity. 
Um, and so I think it's very powerful, uh, Joe, that you heard of Augustine and uh, Lewis in a uh, educational context before you ever came across them in terms of your own Christian doctrinal study. And I, I think that shows the kind of influence that Christianity has had, you know, on, on the West. Now, Joe, you went to a Catholic high school, uh, John F. Kennedy, if I remember. No, that, that was public, but one through eight was uh, Catholic. So Catholic school early on, Kennedy was a, was a public high school. Yeah. Um, you know, there's lots of debate, of course, uh, within Christendom. I mean, you're a Reformed Christian. Uh, you grew up Catholic. You're, you're, you're a dyed-in-the-wool Calvinist. You, you have a card that tells you you're a card-carrying Calvinist. Um, <laughs> Joe, in my experience, um, the Catholic Church can be faulted, no doubt about it. But in terms of kind of a classical worldview education, I think it exposes you to a lot. And um, right at the heart of that classical education are these heavyweight Christian thinkers through the centuries. And, um, you know, we can benefit from people from different traditions. And um, I know I have. I... I've really benefited from, from reading these kinds of individuals and, and I'm heartened, I'm encouraged that, wow, here, here's Mortimer Adler creating the great books of the Western world. And, and there, are, there are dozens of Christians in that book, dozens of books by Christians that are seen as this, these are the real classics. So, I want to encourage people who maybe are considering walking away from the faith. Have you give Have you gotten the best drink of Christian water? By the way, Ken, uh, with regard to your issue of what you listen to while you're doing your writing or your work, what you need to do is listen to Mozart. <laughs> I might become so fulfilled that I go into a uh, meditation and France. Maybe may not type anymore, right? Hmm. There's been proof, uh, studies done that show that your uh, your IQ improves listening to Mozart. Well, I'm going to try it. I need it. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll leave it on that note. No, no pun intended there. Uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Again, the title of the article, 12 Life Parallels Between St. Augustine and C.S. Lewis, if you want to check that out. Be sure to read uh, Ken's blog that comes out uh, every two weeks, reflectionsbyken.wordpress.com. And if you're still looking for some good summer reading, we've mentioned a number of times classic Christian thinkers. Uh, if, if you haven't read Ken's latest book, that's Christianity Cross-Examine. We welcome you to uh, pick that one up as well. And let us know your comments and questions. You can reach Ken via his Twitter handle, which is at RTB underscore K samples. That's going to wrap it up for Ken Samples and Dave Rogstad. This is Joe Aguirre with a reminder that the goal of apologetics is not victory, but truth. Thanks for listening and join us for the next edition of Street Thinking. Thank you for listening. Your prayers and financial support are reaching people with reasons for faith in Jesus Christ 
our Creator and Savior. To allow Reasons to Believe programs like this to continue, make your gift today at reasons.org.